you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Kevin DeGroat, physical therapist in Colorado and highly involved in the triathlete community nationwide and worldwide. Kevin and I had a great conversation about what we feel is necessary to be a healthy athlete. So let's tune in. Kevin, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Awesome. So I know you've had a crazy hectic morning, but I really thank you for getting on here, taking some time to talk with me, talk with my listeners um, about the various aspects to being a healthy athlete or becoming a healthy athlete and remaining a healthy athlete. There's so many directions that, um, or so many aspects that are required and a lot of humans in general just don't understand everything that's needed for this. So we wanted to dive into this today since I know you're super passionate about it and I know the information needs to get out there. Um, So first and foremost, just define what you view as, or what's your definition of healthy athlete? So like you said, there's a lot of different directions that go into that. And when we start to look at um, the, like, most of us think of our, our body composition as the only thing that matters when it comes to, when we talk about health, um, because that's what's been fed to us for a long time by, you know, the, the typical medical model right now is, like, what is your BMI? Are you in a healthy, and they actually use that, like, healthy or normal as the, as the way to describe it, and, um, really that's only one portion of it is like, are you, are you actually fit? Are you healthy or in a healthy weight? Um, and then you have to look at, are you strong? Well, that, you know, that plays into that body side of things. But then when you, um, especially in the world of physical therapy, the like biopsychosocial model has become a much bigger thing. And, um, and it's really important, I think, for us as coaches and physical therapists to understand that it's not just somebody's body composition. It's not just somebody's strength or the lack of injury that makes them healthy. It's also um, having appropriate balance and relation in relationships and having, um, you know, the it, it's yeah, it's the biologic side, it's the psychological side, it's the spiritual side, it's the social side, and putting all of those together and making sure that we, we're not neglecting one of those, or in a lot of cases, we're not neglecting three of those um, when we're training. Um, and that, I mean, in your world of, of CrossFitters and runners, that is extraordinarily prevalent because it, it becomes like CrossFit becomes your world and running becomes your world. And we end up getting into this mindset of, well, as long as I'm PRing in the gym, like I'm healthy, like I'm, I'm still doing really well. And I've seen so many athletes in the triathlon world who they might be PRing every race, but the rest of the world is completely falling apart. And they, they, you know, they pour into the, they pour into the athletic side because everything is falling apart and they don't want to acknowledge that that's 
it's harder to deal with that stuff. It's much easier to, you know, I can add five more pounds to my, to my squat rack and that's easier to handle than it is to actually deal with the, the more difficult side of things. That's a great explanation there. Um, diving into the kind of that end part a little bit, as far as using these training sessions and our sports to cover up a lot of that is it, without realizing it, you're causing a downward spiral because your stress levels are higher, your R, which means your cortisol levels are higher, your training puts your cortisol up. And so long-term, yeah, you're gonna, you make benefits and progress in the beginning, but you know, long-term, it's going to cause a quick decline eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the like, BMI versus healthy weight as in more of a strength athlete versus endurance athlete, um, I see like I'm working with the CrossFit community. Being like most people with muscle tend to have these elevated BMIs that put them in the obese category. I'm one of them, yeah. and yeah. so <laughs> I've hated the BMI ever since it was pretty much in existence. So let's talk about this a little bit. Why can someone have a high BMI but still be essentially a healthy weight and a, um, be a healthy individual? So I, right, right away you, you mentioned the muscle component of it. Most people know that muscle weighs more than fat. And so if all we're looking at is the, the you know, like weight per you know, kilogram per, then we're starting, then right away it's like, I'm more dense than somebody else because I'm strong. I have more muscle than, you know, somebody else who's more sedentary. And um, it's just one component of, of your overall health too. So it's like my weight might be, um, might be elevated, but that doesn't mean that my cardiovascular system is, is struggling because of it, because, you know, you're a good example. You're, extraordinarily strong you fall into this obese category and your heart's not working any harder because you're quote-unquote heavier um but because we've just set up these wrong these unfortunate expectations um real quick story about this it was it was really funny when i was a freshman in college i played college soccer and i was 187 pounds i'm six foot one and i went in to get a sports physical literally the physician did not even look up from the, from the notebook or from my chart. And he's like, Oh, 187 pounds. Aren't you a little heavy to be a soccer player? And I was just flabbergasted. I was just like, well, you got to be kidding me. This guy, first of all, didn't look at me. Second of all, like clearly has no understanding of the sport. Like, yes, a lot of soccer players are very slight, but I played, I played center mid defensive center mid and I was a pretty good soccer player, I would say. And he didn't even look at me. It was just <laughs> your, your weight's too high for, you know, for how tall you are. And so that was really, really a really frustrating experience that I had um, that started making me think, you know, a long time ago about, well, maybe my weight's not the only thing that matters. Maybe there are other things that also contribute to whether I am healthy or not. Awesome. When we get into like 
cardio versus strength um, and looking at those different types of athletes. What's your view on like if someone's just an endurance athlete or just a strength athlete, um, do you need both components to be a healthy athlete or can you really just focus on one and be okay? My, my bias is that you need both. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I come from more the endurance side of things and I, I think it's, um, it's harder to get across to, well, I guess there's different components of this for, for both sides. You have the endurance athletes who don't think that they need strength, but strength is ultimately what's going to keep you from getting injured. Um, it's going to help with resiliency. So obviously there it's like, it's a really easy argument to make when you say, I, you're a, you're a triathlete, you're a runner, you need to be strong because the the pounding that you put through your body or the the pressure that you put on your body is um, needs to be handled so you need to at least have appropriate strength for the for the sports that you're doing um, so that's a pretty easy argument I think I and I could be wrong I don't work with CrossFit athletes very often but I think it might be a little harder to tell them that their cardiovascular um, performance is going to matter in their strength, you know, in their, in their power and in their strength, because they're, they're like, I don't need to go run a mile. It's like, yeah, you don't, you don't necessarily need to go run a mile, but um, that's, you know, you're getting the blood, your blood has to come from somewhere. And if you're not, if your heart's not strong, then we need, you know, we're going to run into problems down the road because you're not getting the appropriate fuel to your, to your muscles the oxygen's not coming to your muscles. So you're going to fatigue more quickly. So yeah, you might be able to do a couple, a couple sets of that, but then what about in an hour workout? Are you going to be able to handle, um, handle the last 15 minutes or in the last 20 minutes? Yeah, that's a great, great explanation there. Let's go into, let's get dive into that psychosocial aspect a little bit more, quite a bit more as that's I think that's the side that tends to be neglected a lot more with athletes. Like, yeah, you said, said already, we focus so much on just diving into the practice side of things. We forget about how much um, psychology plays into it and how much the mental side can really play into this. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of talk about as, as you mentioned, as far as like people dive into this to avoid their struggles is there's also this aspect that, especially I find it with my runners that it's a great way to help them, you know, cope with things they're dealing with as well. You know, I know a lot of people have gone into it in order to overcome bad addictions or to overcome death in the family or something of that nature. So there's a, a huge mental aspect for that direction of it as well. When we're coming to the endurance side, especially in the endurance athlete, I think. Yeah. Oh man. So like we were talking about before, um, before we started actually recording this, I, I really want to do a podcast that is dedicated to this topic. So this is something that I think about on a literally day-to-day -day basis. Um, but when we, when we look at, um, and, and I, I want to give a caveat of number one, I'm not a mental health professional. So like, 
I'm very interested in it, but I'm not a professional by any stretch of the imagination. And I refer people to mental health professionals all the time. Um, but one of, so, and also my wife is a mental health professional, so that's really helpful. <laughs> um, but when you look at something like an addiction, um, I'm trying to remember the actual definition that she's that she's used that she uses because it's um, she's going through this uh, addictions counseling uh, licensure and they use addiction as anything that negatively affects your life like when you you have to do it and it ends up having a negative um, effect on your life so we look at these quote unquote positive addictions versus quote unquote negative addictions. And from my understanding, there, there's not that level, there's not a positive and a negative addiction. It's just things that have a, a negative impact on your life where like, if you can't participate in that activity, you end up running into problems. Um, and I know that this is going to offend people. Uh, but when we look in, and I'm, I'll, I'll go into it more after, but when you look at a drug addiction versus a running addiction, obviously a running addiction is better, you know, it's better for your health, but I think if we really want to be healthy, we need to continue, we need to still look at it as a running addiction, and we need to say that there's still something else that you need to, you need to wrestle with, and like obviously the behavior of running is a lot better for society. It's a lot better for you. It's a lot better for, you know, for your family. But what happens if that starts to get in the way of the, you know, the rest of your life? What happens if your running addiction, that good addiction gets in the way of your relationships? What happens if your CrossFit membership gets in the way of your other relationships? What happens if, and those, those are all things I, I don't have an answer to. And it was like, that's awesome. I'm glad that we use running and endurance athletics as more positive coping strategies. But I think there's a further discussion that needs to happen. Um, and, I, and again, I, I don't have the answer. I just have this, like, I'm so interested in, in hearing people's stories of overcoming more negative addictions, replacing it with a more positive addiction, but can we go even further and, and, and have the whole biopsychosocial um, model in front of us and say, okay, I'm really, I'm really glad that you broke down that habit loop. You got away from your, your drug addiction or whatever the negative addiction was. You found something more positive, but now let's not stop there. Let's continue to dig into what else is going on in your life? What other, what other things are positively and negatively affecting your, your life? If that makes any sense. No, it definitely makes sense. And I think about, you know, the past year of my life and the things that I've gone through, overcome, broken down in myself and how many just layers of things are covering up other underlying issues um, and the reasons that, you know, we don't realize the reasons that we do things at times and the habits that we get into and what we're covering up in that process. So that makes complete sense to me as far as, you know, why are we doing, you know, good or bad addictive behaviors, like figuring that out in order to really process everything. 
Yeah. And I think, I think for a lot of us, we get like the acute response to um, really challenging circumstances is we, we survive. And so running, cycling, swimming, CrossFit, you name the activity, those are all really, really good things to help us initially survive. Um, and, but I, I just don't want my athletes to stop there. I don't want them to say, well, I found a better, I found a better activity. So now I'm going to just be done. I, I can just, cause then what happens, what happens if you get hurt now, all of a sudden you're le- like, do you spin back out of control because, and go right back to your other addictive behaviors because you never actually dealt with the underlying problems. Um, and that, that to me is like when I get really nervous as, as a coach, I'm like, I don't want to just help people find a, a little bit better addiction. It's like, I want to help people move to actual health. And that's where, that's this conversation. Like, what does that even mean? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know. I don't know if it, you know, if running 65, 70 miles a week as my, uh, my transition from like a drug addiction is going to, is that much better or that much more healthy. But that's, that's again, like, I think that this, this podcast could go for hours (laughs) in circles and, being like, oh man, it was that actually healthy or I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. No, I totally understand where you're coming from. And yeah, I, I, we could talk all day in, in circles about that because, just because of that. Um, I've been reading a book recently, it's Atomic Habits and uh, talking about creating better habits, how to get rid of bad habits, that sort of thing. But it, it part of it did dive into recently as far as like why the underlying motivation for the different habits and really you know, figuring that aspect of it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't actually read that book, but the, the other experience in my life that kind of really triggered this was reading the power of habit. Mm. And it was like, man, we do so many things that we don't even think about. We don't, we don't have any control over. Um, and then one thing, one thing kind of falls out of that process and the whole world just collapses around us. Um, and that's, again, that's not what I want for my athletes. I want them to be, I want them to look in, at themselves as triathletes as a portion of their identity, not their entire identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you're, you're a part of the running injury support group in the triathlon injury support group. And between those two groups, there's probably 2,500 people. And I bet if you pulled that, that group and said, what portion, what, you know, what number of you, what percentage of you struggles with um, aspects of depression with being injured, I bet there's a high, high, high um, prevalence of people who struggle with depression and mental health issues when they can't do their sport. And I just think that we have some, we, we can offer something more. Um, we just have to try to dig into it a little bit better. Oh, without a doubt. And like you said, you know, you refer out for it. I definitely 
it's not something that my for you know is my expertise at all either as far as that goes but i do know where i can the direction i can send people if needed because it is such a important component yeah uh, this is a, a little bit of a tangent but i think that it's a it's a good story um one of my biggest worries as a physical therapist is that I'm going to make people worse. Um, and I know that that sounds a little bit crazy just off the bat, but I have, I had a client who came in with neck pain and he, I, I asked him, he had been seeing another provider for, uh, for three months. And I asked him, um, what have, what have you been working on? What have, what was told to you? And he's like, well, I was told that I had a twisted vertebrae in my, in my neck. And I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that this, that's not what this podcast is for, but I'm not going to argue that. But he comes in to his first visit. So that was all on the phone. He comes into his first visit and he just breaks down in front of me. And, and I, I asked him, I was like, okay, clearly there's something more going on than just neck pain. Tell me what else is going on in your life. And, and he proceeded to talk about relationship struggles that he had. He was starting a new business. He had financial, financial difficulties. He had all these other stressful experiences that were going on in his life. And then he went to a healthcare provider that told him that he had a twisted vertebrae. And, and I, I was like, well, how did that make you feel? He's like, like I'm broken. And it's like, when you look at the, at the clients that are coming into you, whether it's in physical therapy or in, um, or in coaching, and you tell them that something's wrong with them, are you actually making them feel more whole or more hopeful? Or are you making them feel more broken? And so we just talked about like, I was like, tell me about your dog. Because this dog had been taken away from him. Um, for a couple different, you know, he broke up with his girlfriend and his, his dog ended up going with his girlfriend. So I was like, tell me about your dog. And he starts talking about his dog and, you know, all these good memories. And then he talks about his job and he talked, we just talked about life. I was like, okay, it's been 20 minutes. How's your neck doing? He's like, oh, it's like 50% better. It's really interesting, right? And I, I made sure that I raised that to him. And like, it's really, it's really good that you acknowledge that your neck is better. And we didn't ever talk about, we didn't, I didn't fix a, a twisted vertebrae. I just gave you, I gave you an outlet. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of, and, and so whenever I have clients that come in and they're like, oh, you know, I help me with my neck pain. I'm like, what words am I using that are either giving them more hope or making them feel more broken. And if I make them feel more broken, I am doing the exact opposite job that I'm supposed to do as a physical therapist. Um, which is, that's like, it keeps me up at night, and it's terrifying. My biggest fear as a physical therapist is not that I won't be able to help somebody, but it's that I'm actually hurting somebody with the words that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we can talk about that in the way that coaches actually engage with their athletes. And the, the psychological component of performance is huge. And our words have a huge effect on our psychology. So a, another, another great tangent that we could go down for more hours. <laughs> and I think that's a great point as far as 
you know, like you said, both of us are in the, the running injury and the triathlon injury support groups on Facebook. And, you know, we frequently see, you know, I've gotten this diagnosis and all these questions around it. And the end of the game, you know, end of the day, it doesn't like that diagnosis doesn't change anything about their body. It just gives them this label that all of a sudden causes people to panic. And, you know, having a diagnosis isn't a bad thing. It's a bad thing when the person that gave you the diagnosis doesn't explain what's actually going on and whether or not it's even relevant to the whole situation or not. Yeah. Yeah, we, we probably shouldn't even get me started on that one. <laughs> you started it. Yeah, I, I suppose I did. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, you know, there's the passive side of things where just go rest for six weeks and your itis will go away. Like, okay. Or, you know, even, even some of the diagnoses that we use are so scary. Like I hear some like syndromes and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I hope I never get that. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's interesting when, when people come in and they're like, well, I I was told that I have, you know, cross body syndrome. Like, wait a second. I went to PT school for three years and I have no idea what that is. And I went, I went and looked it up and it's like, well, your hip flexors on one side, like your hip flexors are tight and your hamstrings are weak. I'm like, why can't we just use those, like that language? Hey, we really need to work on trying to strengthen your hamstrings, trying to strengthen, like that's way better than you have a syndrome. (laughs) Right? That's terrifying. Of course, people are freaked out to go to the doctor because they keep hearing about their syndromes and itises. Yeah. (laughs) So true. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about the social aspect a little bit as well. Um, Just because there is so much, uh, you know, we all want to be like part of a tribe, part of a culture, that sort of thing. So there is a big social aspect when we do talk about this, um, whether it's, it is to, you know, decrease depression or that sort of thing, or is it just to be able to experience joy in your life? You know, there's such a big aspect to the running groups and the triathlon groups or CrossFit gyms because they're so very community-based and support-based that um, I, I think as an athlete, they are important, as, you know, to get into a, just for that support system, you know, if you have a bad day, if you need something, um, or just to make you happy or, you know, help you experience joy, I should say, because nothing can actually make you happy, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that groups are incredible. Um, obviously I have a, a triathlon team and there's a reason that we have teams. And I think one of the reasons, not the only, but one of the reasons that CrossFit has been so successful is because it has the, the community feel and the camaraderie of like you're all suffering together. Um, the the fear of that is it when it becomes all encompassing and when so like i mean obviously most of us don't work at a crossfit box but when you go to your your job and then you go to your crossfit and you hang out with those people and then those people like all go grab a drink together afterwards and that's your only social 
um, social group, it's not the end of the world, but it also puts a lot of pressure on that one area. And again, it's, it, it's not a bad thing by itself, but now what happens if you hurt yourself and can't go to CrossFit anymore? Like, are you putting, are you having enough balance in your life and, and enough variety in your life maybe is the right word um, that when something goes wrong, the world doesn't collapse in around you. Um, and I have triathletes all the time that say, I'm so, I'm an actual phrase that somebody has used with me is I don't even know who I am outside of triathlon. And all of their friends are triathletes. Their husband's a triathlete. They've been doing triathlon for, you know, 20 plus years. And their identity is wrapped up in not only the sport, but also the people that are in that sport and their team. And now all of a sudden they're hurt and they're taken away from that identity and then they don't know who they are. Um, and that's, that's all I'm saying is it's, it's interesting and, and challenging to me to, to look at that and say that there's not something that we could do better. Mm-hmm. There's also yeah. 24 hours in a day. So we, we want to hang out with the people who are like us, but I think if we work more on personal development, more on uh, emotional development, more on identity development, then if something happens that threatens our identity as an aspect of who we are, at least we have something else that we have developed along the way. Um, I think is probably the most important thing of that. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. And I think to go along with that, I had this thought today, I don't even know what I was thinking about, but how like we just need to get out and essentially just play more, like literally go to the playground and play on the monkey bars or, you know, find a climbing gym or go hiking or just like be a kid again and just do something to just enjoy life and have fun, not focus on the training necessarily every day, but just getting out, getting active and um, just like finding something new to do. Yeah. And, and how much of your, um, how much of your training is actually regimented planned training? Uh, it, I mean, it all depends. If I go to class, the class is going to be regimented because it's going to be whatever the coach programs. But then like this morning, I just went in and did my own thing for an hour. So I just kind of worked on some different skills. Um, I actually debated if it wasn't raining, I might've gone to a park and played on the monkey bars because I was kind of in that kind of mood, but it was actually raining in Phoenix. So that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And I, so triathlon is, um, in, in, an interesting one because an Ironman training program, the one that I use with most of my athletes is 24 weeks. So you're, you're sitting at five and a half months of your life is planned for you. Um, and it's fascinating to me how many people are like, well, what else, you know, I'm in base building phase, but like base building mode, what should I be doing? It's like, not letting me tell you exactly how to live your life. You should go play on the monkey bars and like go ride your bike with friends. Like don't care about how fast you're going or what, what heart rate zone you're in or like go wander through the mountains and like play, play in the mountains running. Don't think about pace all the time. Um, 
go go do like something just just enjoy the fitness component of it while you're getting stronger while you're getting you know your base aerobic conditioning done um but don't let it be so regimented because what ends up happening is um inevitably six weeks out from the from the Ironman, people are like, I'm so burnt out. I'm so tired of looking at my training program and having it tell me exactly what to do. I'm like, yeah, but what would have happened if we extended that training program to 30 weeks and I gave you a six week base build? Like now all of a sudden you're 12 weeks out from your Ironman and you're freaking out telling me that you're tired of me uh, telling you every day what you're supposed to do. Like I a hundred percent agree. We need to, we need to play more um, and we need like, great, go for a run every day, but don't run hard every day. Don't run the same speed every day. Like go run through the park and sit on the park bench for 20 minutes and just people watch, just enjoy the fact that it's nice outside. Um, all sorts of different ideas that I have that like, just enjoy the process. Don't, don't have everything and and that's also the world that we live in is so technology driven and so data driven that you're like well my my ftp just went you know dropped five watts in the in the off season because i was just joking around like i can't have that happen like that's the least of your worries um but they everybody i mean not everybody but most people know exactly what their ftp is and they know what their mile pace is and they know what their splits are supposed to be and there's everything is so regimented and it we i think we have to get away from that at least to a to a degree and just give the play back to people a hundred percent yeah well that's one of the reasons i started getting into the spartan races just because i'm like it Yes, it's a mix of running and CrossFit, but at the same time, it's like, you just get to go, you run a little bit, you play on an obstacle, you run a little bit, you do another obstacle. And so it's just kind of, it does bring that play aspect back into, you know, sport and fitness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. Awesome. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, Kevin, but any, so any parting thoughts before we end this? And we, we kind of tackled a, a few big ones. Um, no, I don't, I don't think that there's anything else really major. Um, I would just say the, the big take home like message for me is if you, um, I'll, I'll actually say it this way. So we all, we all talk about, most people understand work-life balance. That's a concept that almost everybody knows. And um, I was talking to somebody about, you know, I was at a, um, a seminar and they were talking about how dumb work-life balance is because what should be happening is you should have all these different areas of your life that have tension. And so, it, yes, I am, like, we'll get to that in a second, but when you look at balance, you're like, everything's going to be even and I'm going to find this happy. Like when I'm doing 25 hours of work and 25 hours of time with my wife, like I'm going to be happy and everything's going to be blissful. Right. But what that gives this impression of there's like an actual number of hours that you should be doing something and you should be like, as long as I get my eight hours um, a week with, with my wife, I'm okay. As long as I get my 10 hours of training and I'm okay. And then I'm balanced. And 
the, the way that this person described it is we should look at everything as tension. So I should strive for excellence in my job and which is going to draw me towards my job. And then when I get to the point where the other things start to pull back on me because they're, they're tense, they're, you know, now they're all of a sudden challenged and there's tension there. Now all of a sudden it pulls me back towards my relationship with my wife. And then my, like, I can't just spend 24 seven just sitting at home with my wife. So my job should then pull me back towards work and then training should pull me towards training. And I should constantly be like, okay, I'm not getting as, I'm getting a little bit, a little bit more tension from all these other areas of my life. I need to let them pull me back towards the center. Um, so yes, there is that balance component of it, but it's constantly checking ourselves and, and not a, a number that we're looking for or an amount of time. It's, I want to be pulled towards triathlon because I love it and I want to be successful. And then as soon as I get a little bit out of whack there, I want all the other areas of my life to be strong enough to pull me back and say, no, you can't continue that direction because it's going to wreck you. So then my wife and my job pull me back and then my other friendships pull me back and I'm constantly being drawn towards other things and intention that allows me to actually be successful in life. And I think that's really where the biopsychosocial spiritual, like we need to look at that as a web and it's all like all different areas that are pulling us different directions. And if we get a little too heavy on one, the others should be strong enough to pull us away from that and move us more towards the center. And we might end up getting more unbalanced that direction and then just constantly adapting and adjusting based off of, um, based off of the fact that there are, you know, 10 things in our lives that are really important and matter. Um, and we have to always be assessing and, and reflecting and saying, am I, am I going overkill on CrossFit? Am I going overkill on Ironman training? Like, is this getting in the way of my other relationships? And if it is, they should probably, uh, I should probably focus on them for a little while. Okay, now it pulls me back. Now it pulls me back. Now it pulls me back. I think that, does that make sense? Yeah, I loved how you explained that. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone wants to find out more about you, look, get in contact with you, how can someone find you? So everything on social media uh, is at T0Physio, T-Z-E-R-O, Physio. Um, and then uh, also if you want to kind of follow along with the exercise videos and ideas on recovery, um, either the running injury support group that uh, Brianne is in or the triathlon injury support group, um, which is my personal group. Um, and then I also have a, a coaching platform for triathletes that is um, all at t0physio.mykajabi.com. It's probably easiest to just put a link somewhere. But <laughs> that one's a little harder. Yes, we will put a link for actually all your, all your info on, in the show notes. So we are good there. Perfect. Um, yeah, and, and I'm always always willing to hop on the phone with people or to – you know, if, if you want to send me a message on social media, like 
I, I love having these types of conversations with people um, because I learn so much every time I have one of these conversations. And um, like I've, I've made pretty clear, like I don't have good answers for what it looks like to be healthy because I think we all have so much work that we can do. And every athlete that I talk to gives me a little bit more insight into what does that look like for this person? What is it like? Maybe, maybe I can glean some valuable things to apply to other athletes that I've been working with as well. So I love interacting with people because it just challenges me so much. So Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining me. Yeah, thank you. And that concludes this episode of Highly Functional. I truly appreciate the time you spend to listen to myself and my colleagues share with you how to become highly functional individuals and how to be highly functional individuals. If you learned great information from this, I would love for you to share it with your friends and help them become highly functioning individuals as well. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.